RPS powered by Seat. Welcome back to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where two grown men and a bright young mind discuss some of the hottest and most relevant issues in pop culture. Present at the round table is Sir Ben Cardew the third, the third and worst. I'm pleased to say. <laughs> and still wondering if she'll have a classroom to go back to is Lady Mar Vaiverdu. I never thought I would be this excited to go back to uni. <laughs> Today is our first episode after our much deserved socially distant holidays. So we're going to be talking about stuff that happened while we were away. Sun drying like Italian tomatoes used for red pesto. For instance, towards the end of August, a certain internationally renowned Catalan power trio called Morn released their first single of their upcoming third album, Self Worth, due out October 30th. The song's called This feeling is disgusting. Something most people getting back into an office after splashing on seashores may identify with. This feeling is disgusting. This feeling is disgusting. This feeling is disgusting. It sucks. Pues mira, la canción va sobre la presión. La presión y, y, la, y la ansiedad que puedes sentir al, um, al pensar en el futuro, ¿no? En qué me va a deparar y, y, y la presión externa de la sociedad, sobre todo, eh, sobre cómo tienes que ser o qué pasos tienes que seguir para... Um, para ser una persona válida, ¿no? Y el hecho de que eso, esos mismos estándares te, te invaliden a ti, ¿no? Y que tú no, no entres dentro de, esta, de este estándar y disculpad la tos de fondo y, y que eso te provoque, pues, 
eh, nervios, miedo al futuro, ansiedad, presión, sobre todo presión. Y creo que es una buena canción, a pesar de la temática así tan, bueno, tan, 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 no sé, negativa, podríamos decir de una manera. Es una buena canción para volver al trabajo porque habla de una realidad así como cruda, de hostia, mmm, tengo que pull it together, ¿sabes? No me sale ahora en castellano, Te, tengo que, que darle caña y, y intentar pues eso, currar para ganarme la vida, currar para alimentar a mi familia, eh, yo qué sé... Eh, emprender y seguir mis sueños, ¿no? Para no tener que seguir eh, un estándar o lo que sea, ¿sabes? Y el hecho de, de hablar de estos temas con una melodía y una canción que en verdad son divertidas, porque te lo pasas bien y dan ganas como ganas de bailar, ¿no? Entonces estás expresando tus, emo tus emociones, de tu frustración... Eh, dejando ir como esa presión de hostia, tengo que volver al trabajo pero a la vez dices, mira, pero me lo tomo de una manera positiva, ¿no? Lo, descargo estas emociones positivamente y eso me da fuerza para tirar adelante entonces yo creo que, que por eso podría ser una buena canción para volver al trabajo, la verdad sí, sí wake me up before September ends no, after, after please <laughs> that was uh, Jazz from Morn, uh, one of the one of the internationally renowned bands. They were they initially got signed to Captured Tracks, if my memory serves me well, and now they are releasing their upcoming album on uh, Spanish label Subterfuge. What do you guys think? Very nice. I mean, for anyone who doesn't speak Spanish, obviously you will speak a variety of languages. Uh, they were basically saying it's it's about the songs about pressure and how you react to that. You kind of pressure to put food on the table. Um, and that kind of thing. Uh, anyone else want to add? You both speak a lot more Spanish than I do. <laughs> no, I, I really relate to the title. This feeling is disgusting. I think I can think this uh, sentence many times of the day, and I, I really want to think of this song when I feel like this feeling is disgusting. Well, it's because we've had a wonderful summer. I mean, considering the the situation, uh, let's just refer to it as that, I, th I, I think we've all, uh, everyone I've talked to seems to have connected well, has spent better quality time with family, with close friends, rather than pursuing ambitious um, globetrotting uh, endeavors. Uh, we've all kept it local and we've kept it very warm. But anyway, uh, what, what I like about this is um, it's, a, it's a proper banger. You know, it's a proper indie rock banger. And I keep hearing people trying to hammer nails into the coffin of indie rock, but even louder than the naysaying pole bearers are the bass, drums and guitars from bands like Morn or Basque alt-punk quartet Belaco, who finally dropped their fourth album Plastic Drama at the end of August after delaying it from their initial May release. Damn you, COVID, said the calendar planner, the talking filofax. It has legs and a leather cover. It was pissed. <laughs> Mar, do you think indie rock is dead? I hope not. It really surprised me that you think it can die no it's it's super important that indie rock stays alive forever it's like the main base to become an arrogant teen who thinks he knows a lot about life and i feel that's your soundtrack and you need indie rock it cannot die we need you arrogant teens of the world to listen to indie rock i include myself there and that's ben you 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 you're still an indie kid what do you what do you make of the the bad press indie music seems to be getting 
Well, I mean, all these things are very cyclical, but there's been a very interesting thing over the last few few months. Uh, well, very much over the last uh, over summer, in fact, that people have been talking about landfill indie again. Do you know what I mean by landfill indie? Please, uh, gift regal our listeners with the explanation of the term. So the last time that indie was really big, um, certainly in Britain anyway, was like, 2006, 7, 8, 9. You remember all that, all that kind yes. of time? Like, indie was massive. Like, you'd have bands... Very massive. Exactly. You know, bands like the Wombats getting into the charts, right? Um, and... Milburn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even. Pigeon Detectives. Th- there'll be more of them. Oh, they're, okay. Um, and basically, some very clever person... Uh, Andrew Harrison, in fact, who was the editor of Q. I'm not sure if it was at the time. He was later. He came up with a term for these bands, which was landfill indie, right? So basically, it's all these bands who, um, uh, yeah, well, they're so bad. You know, they, there's, you, they're just landfill. They're just making up space. They're just rubbish, basically. They, they, they jump, they jump, bands that jumped on a trend, we could say. A trend that was very uh, bankable. Well, the thing is, right, another thing I've been doing over the, the holidays, and God, I'm a boring person, but I'm going to I'm going to go for it. I've been listening to uh, a podcast called Twenty Two Grand Pod. Oh, do you remember the band The Rakes? I love The Rakes. Did you like Twenty Two Grand? Job? I love Twenty Two. I, lo- I love Capture Release. That whole album. I still stand by it as one of the great albums of the 2010s. Mark, you look, you're looking blank. Do you have any idea who I'm talking? No, about? I'm so lost now. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get some more names. We'll see if it if if it helps. Anyway, right. So they got this podcast called Twenty Two Grand Pod, which is looking exactly at all these bands. Um, the sort of landfill indie and what they don't call it landfill indie right but it's basically what other people would refer to as and what there was a Mark Bowman from the NME was on it the other day and what he said was basically this was one of the first types of music that it wasn't the people who liked it that came up with the name but the people who disliked it so they kind of tra- kept on trying to come up with names for the people who liked it they're like yeah we'll call it the new rock revolution or I think he was talking we'll call it grot and roll because it was like really grimy but nothing stuck and the name that stuck was landfill indie so what's happened is basically landfill indie has become like it is sort of an insult but sort of not it kind of refers to all this type of music and vice uh then a few weeks uh a few weeks ago did a list of the best of landfill indie in fact it was 31st of august and what was interesting here was basically it was like 50 of the best songs and it uses landfill indie because it, it likes them this is a massive list 50 songs you don't do a list of 50 songs if you don't if you don't like them um and there's been massive debate. It's like, because some people got really angry. It's like, oh, how can you call it Landfill Indie? And other people are like, no, no, they, they like it. And people are really sort of looking looking back to that. I'm, What song do you think topped this list? Think of a really big British indie song of like 2006, 2007. Really big. Was it something by the Kaiser Chiefs? No, no, no. But not, not a bad, not a bad guess. It's that kind of thing. It I, had, I bet it had a couple of whoas in, in the chorus. I'll tell you what it had. Oh, the kooks were in there, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It had a... Oh, God, the Fratellis. The yes, Fratellis. Dagger, yeah. You see, I, I ended up loathing that song because I used to DJ at indie discos. Uh, it, was at my, it was my peak in my DJ career. And, uh, and they would always p- beg me for that song. And I just didn't like it because I kept hearing it in loads of advertisements like beer ads or football premiership league kind of ads and it was like kind of a hooligany chant da, 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 da. I, I wasn't on board with Fratellis they, they, I understand the term landfill because they were kind of bands you couldn't really de- they weren't going to change your life they just sort of 
they just turned up. There were so many of them, and they knew how to do it. And you could compare it, not in quality, but in um, productivity to the Motown years, right? Remember when... Okay, imagine Mo- the, the, the successful formula of Motown as a production company was that they had the Brill Building, they had all these uh, musicians, and, they, and they, they knew what people liked, which was these sounds, these big choruses, and they made loads of it, thank goodness, because there was quality. You could say the same about Landfill Lending. It wasn't one building, but it was one NME and one QMAG. You see, the, these two magazines that were sort of dishing it all out and, and people's appetite for it was, was endless. What, do you, what, do you, what, what were you doing, Mar, when all this music was <laughs> Were popular? you listening to the kooks you came up with? I, but I don't think I listened in while it was coming out, but maybe like rediscovering later. Like I think most of people do with indie because maybe you're right, maybe it's Maybe it is that. Maybe now I'm convinced that it, it kind of died because you listen to indie, but like yesterday indie, not today's indie. Mm-hmm. What what's today's indie? I I'm not sure, but yes, the Cooks, great band. <laughs> See, I, I feel bad for a band like Morn, right? Who if they had come out in 2006, yeah, and they're doing well, Morn, like, but they mm-hmm. they could have been a lot bigger. You know, or um, we went to Heinz. You, you yes. and I, mm-hmm. your hand. They're another band. Like again, they do really well. But imagine if they'd come out in two thousand six. Oh, they'd be even massive there. Yeah. I mean, they're so much better than uh, some of the bands on this. I'm going through the list, and it's go through it. Uh, the Ordinary Boys. They well, look the Ordinary oh, Boys. God, no. I, 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 no, I have something to say. Look, <laughs> yesterday, I, I'm just I, I'm a slow you were reader. Not listening to the Ordinary Boys yesterday. I, no, I wasn't listening to it. But I mean, Preston, uh, Preston, the, the lead singer. Obviously, he was he had very dashing looks. He was a poster boy. Morrissey stood by the Ordinary Boys, which I, today I don't think that accounts for any kind of prestige. But you know, he he defended the Ordinary Boys. And I read something in in Dave Haslam's fantastic book, Sonic Youth Slept on My Floor, where he talks about his days DJing at the Hacienda and, and, and writing fanzines and, and, and defending underground art. How uh, Dave Haslam ran into Preston at an art gallery space in Philadelphia where they were celebrating an installation for the Hacienda. And I thought, how random, you know, Preston. But obviously he became infamous because he went on Big Brother, didn't he? And he ended up uh, becoming a celebrity couple with uh, Chantel, remember? Yes, yes. Like the lowest in in yellow rag culture, you know, in in, in gossip mag culture, right? He He became the sort of you know, indie boy who wore his Fred Perry polo shirts, but he, he, all of a sudden he was like a front page guy, right? And it, it, it killed his career. It killed his credibility. And this is a guy who, who hung out in art spaces and read the books, but he got seduced by the primetime moments. And, and it's very dangerous to walk the line between being an indie star uh, championed by Morrissey to all of a sudden becoming um, uh, the, the male wag. So um, I, I'm, I'm a father of two. My spare time is at a premium. So obviously, during the summer holidays, I listened to a one and a half hour interview with Preston on this podcast. That is how... Yes. And uh, he, he was talking about that. He was just like, he, his, his attitude of life is like, if somebody gives you an opportunity, just do it. Don't worry about it. Try it. See what it's like. And I was actually, I, you know... Go to Big Brother. I'm not against it. You do. Would you, Mar, go to I Big would. Brother? I'm so sold. Like, take me there. <laughs> I never seen no to opportunities. Why? Why not, Big Brother? Just hanging out with <laughs> some people you would never hang out with, like on TV. Yes, just do it. Yolo. 
What about uh, one of those uh, islands, the survival <laughs> islands? Would you go to one the, of those? Love Island or something like this. Yeah. I think it's really big in, in the UK. I haven't watched it. I mean, I I don't know. I'm, I will sign up for everything now. I'm just YOLO. Who cares? Let's do it. Good yeah, and did you not get offered Big Brother once or something? Uh, I I had an agent back back <laughs> a long time ago, uh, Tonya Santis. <laughs> That's a story for my biography. I, I had the I had the same manager as uh, agent uh, agent manager as uh, Belen Esteban. <gasps> Yes, the the one she Let's sued. Let's do a podcast just about this. I, I know, and, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get him into trouble. I mean, I my experience with him was all right. I didn't have any. I wasn't as successful as Belen Esteban to get robbed, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, he came up with one of those offers to go on one of those. No, it was a strictly come dancing kind of deal, oh which I I turned down in its day. But now I would do it. Yes. Now yes. I because I think I just like you. I Plus, would be my Matt if you said no now. Now it's time to say yes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's dance. Let's be on TV. But that's different because those the, there you actually rehearse something and you're you're actually performing. You're doing something. You know, I'm not I'm I'm an okay dancer, but I've never done the foxtrot or the the tango. And that I would be willing to do that just for my mum because I know she likes those kind of shows. And I you know I'd be, you know you, you you get to dance with really incredible dancers on those things. But the one where you're just hanging out and and you have to entertain. That's like also something difficult to do. You are in a house. You have nothing to do and you have to make people like you so that's also like an achievement I must say I would I, I think I would if I went into a big brother house I would cook no one cooks. Look, no one. You maybe know, you would win. Yeah, it would be like a meta cooking show where you're not actually doing it without to the camera. You're just doing it, and I don't know, you know, and, and you're feeding everyone, and that's a great way to win a popularity contest: feeding people. <laughs> so that was my very long-winded way of saying indie rock. I think um, everything comes in cycles, and like you'd never have thought this would come back uh, into not fashion exactly, but people look on it very, very fondly. And even back at that time, looking through the list, there are songs that I like, um, like Cajun Dance Party. They had a, they had an alright yes. couple of songs, like um, Maximo Park. They had an alright. Maximo couple Park of, were on War. Future Heads, who were who were good. I was a yes. fan of the Future. Future Heads played Primavera Sound. As did the, didn't they? Uh, yeah, as did the, the the Young Knives. Are they in that list? The Young Knives? Yeah, of course the Young Knives are in this list. Oh my. And Larrick in Love, I, I really had a candle for. And they're, they're in that list. There was all these bands that were, had promising starts. And that what I liked about that whole decade was that it captured youth. And obviously, you know, British youth has always been very inspiring, especially... If, and, and that article kind of points out is like how many bands can you listen to singing about living in grey cities and having no sort of prospect for the future but this this is we need those voices more than ever now I mean look at Marsh she hasn't even got a classroom to go back to <laughs> what kind of a future is she going to bank on even her university is on, on hold yep. well Mara it's up to you to make it go on up to me to make my yeah. university make no no <laughs> it's up to you to make rock music about uh, not being able yeah, to go totally. more music yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my next big thing. Either Big Brother or study, starting an indie band. Okay. <laughs> we will definitely buy tickets to see anything that you front on stage. Um, uh, before I lose it, uh, as, you, as we were saying, you know, uh, what I do like about the fact that indie has gone back to being indie is that 
For a while, it became very commercial. It was uh, something that you could uh, sell jeans and shoes and anything you put on an indie band, you could sell in a supermarket. Whereas now, it is back to what indie used to be. It's the music of the resentful teenagers stuck alone in a club with three people, that kind of thing. And uh, indie was never meant to be mainstream, I think. Mark, what do the cool people, apart from you, in your class, <laughs> listen to? Um, I'm not sure. I think you can listen to everything now and argue that it's cool, that it's the coolest. Like, you can listen to Travis Scott and say it's the coolest, but you can also listen to The Cooks, maybe, and say it's the coolest because it's, like, underground, blah, blah, blah. I think you can say anything and I would be convinced it's the coolest, so I'm not sure. I don't even know what I listen to. I really like that, though, the fact that people are just like, yeah, I listen to The Cooks, so what, you know? (laughs) Yeah, because now it's cool, like, it's, oh, what, like yesterday's used to hear that I listened to and it's cool because it's old not really old 2006 but you know mm-hmm. yeah but it, it th- there were bands that helped say a lot define your personality isn't it if you wore a t-shirt by the Vaselines or the pastels it's like oh this guy must have a really interesting mm. book collection or this girl must have a very good taste in French movies that kind of, you know that kind of thing you wore it proudly on your sleeves, whereas now it doesn't really no, mean anything. Now you come out as arrogant. If you wear it so seriously, like, this is my personality, people are like, who do you think you are? You have to wear things that are, like, sarcastic. Like, if I wear, I have, I think, just a couple band t-shirts, and one of it is Jonas Brothers being <laughs> <laughs> all out on it. So you cannot be too serious because people will think you're an asshole. So now exactly. it's more difficult. Exactly. Acts of resistance uh, tend to polarize people, don't they? Which uh, Larrikin love song would you have in the top in the top? 50? I can't there's even one remember. At, there's one at number five. It's Six Queens. Are you a big fan of that? That's 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 a proper class tune. But rather than play uh, landfill in the scarce time that we have how about we support a band as i say any of those bands in that decade and i still uh, believe it if you're a guitar band one of the highest accolades you can receive in your career is being talked about in the new musical express which is what happened to the basque quartet that played nistel primavera just a couple of weeks ago presenting their new album plastic drama they are fabulous they are belaco
That was Balaco with Truth. Uh, and enough about indie rock. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that quite a lot. Well, you can tell what I've been listening to very boring podcasts. But let's get down to some good old dance pop for our album of the week. And this is one I feel particularly opinionated about. It's everyone's favourite uh, dazzling pop star, Dua Lipa, with her new remix album, Club Future Nostalgia, in uh, conjunction with uh, DJ The Blessed Madonna. Um, basically, uh, Club Future was was a brilliant album by Dua Lipa. Lovely uh, sort of disco-y, housey number. One of my favourite pop albums of the year. One of my favourite albums of the year. Um, and she hooked up with uh, the Blessed Madonna, I believe, at a Mark Ronson DJ gig. And they, they hatched this plan to put together a remix album. Uh, and so basically the Blessed Madonna, as I understood it, basically over, oversaw it. She, you know, she was like, okay, well, you get this person, you get this person, this 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 person the really big names uh she got madonna in she actually got the the, 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 the authentic madonna yeah, yeah it's crazy she's on the cover i was so surpri- surprised by it it's crazy and uh missy elliott as <laughs> well <laughs> went stefani mark ronson <laughs> she's got she's got heavy hitters from the from pop music from the last uh, four decades of pop music. But she's also got really underground people. She's got uh, Joe Goddard, Jada G, Midland, uh, Horsemeat Disco, Master at Work, Mr. Fingers, Paul Wilford, Yeji, Moody Man. Like really kind of underground um, tastes. And apparently some of her fans have been a bit annoyed by it because mm. they're a bit too, too underground for her. Now, I love Dua Lipa, right? And I love many... Uh, if not quite all, but many of the names who who are here remixing, I, I I well I don't normally like remix albums, but in theory they're a good thing, right? But I do not like this album. What, what, what was no. your beef? All right, I described it re- recently, um, and I'm going to quote myself because I thought this I thought this was very clever. It's probably not. Um, this is a mixtape plus lawyers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because when you're a big pop star like Dua Lipa you're on a big major label you have lots of lawyers working for you and you can't just do everything now the thing about a mixtape right is you put whatever you like in there you know and you don't make any money from it you put it on for free or, or, or whatever and if the lawyers get in touch you take it down or you put it on Mixcloud or or whatever it's and it's really it's really it's free uh, in the sense of well both financially but also you know it's kind of liberating you kind of do do what you want and you've seen this like lots of you know, big artists have done have done mixtapes um, and done mixes where they've put in things they might not normally do because it's not like a, a big kind of release. Mm-hmm. So, mixtape plus lawyer doesn't work. All right, if you need to clear all of the samples and everything you're doing, you don't have that freedom. So basically, this uh, this album features um, a number of samples. Yeah. Uh, a number are they samples or are they songs mixed in? Where, where does the line stand but things like Buffalo Stance Percolator by Kajmir yeah. uh, Jamiroquai's Cosmic Girl for crying out loud Hollaback <laughs> Girl things like that and it, it mixes in all of these right but it, it you everything's obviously been cleared and there's just not enough there's just not enough kind of samples it's just like oh right it's very clanking you know and it doesn't work and there's like one this one moment where Mark Ronson appears like hey I want to hear Buffalo Stance and they play Buffalo Stance like oh uh, yeah. god this is so bad and also the other thing is right if you're going to get legends like Masters at Work in alright this is me being born but I love Masters at Work right 
don't just play me one minute 54 of their song with yeah. uh, a big old sample of someone else's song yeah. percolator on top it just it just doesn't work i really like the idea but i found it really annoying um what do you think sorry that was a bit of a ramp but what, what do you think um i the thing i like the album but the thing that made me mad it's um, Dua Lipa has the biggest, most brightest PR team ever. Uh, she went from being a meme like two years ago because she danced really bad to totally changing her aesthetic and becoming this hairstyle queen that everyone now has been copying and branding herself as an it girl. She's, she's it. She's the thing you want to be. And she puts out the best mm, pop album of the year. And then this album just went by like it went super under the radar nobody really talked about it i i just listened to it like today just because we were talking about it but i liked walip i've listened future nostalgia multiple times but this album it has madonna it has missy elliott it has one stefani it has blackpink the k-pop group it should be even bigger than future nostalgia Mm. but i've haven't heard anything about it. And I think it's because she's kind of tired of promoting future nostalgia. It was a big thing. It was almost a year anticipation of, oh, I'm coming up with an album. It's a new era. It's a new look. It's blah, 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 blah. And now she's, okay, I'm so overdone, so over it. Like, just listen if you want to. If you don't, that's good. Do you think it's possibly fallen in between two stools? Like, her big fans don't necessarily want to hear like Moody Man do a remix and Moody Man fans don't necessarily want to hear a Dua Lipa album that could be the case I mean traditionally when pop artists would put out a remix of a of a hit it was to conquer the clubs right to get to the tastemakers who go out clubbing you know they it's usually a percentage of the population that's really hip that's really down to it and if the kids in the club are down with it it's going to be even bigger right because they're going to be telling everyone on their blogs and stuff so i could understand it. it's very old-fashioned this strategy of let's make a, a a remix album of the the pop album and especially Coming at a time when clubs are forbidden, when clubs are closed, when the the thing that is taking the longest to reactivate are the clubs and spaces where people can get together and dance, it's a little bit of a slap. It's a bit of a tease. It's almost like showing a a celiac a lovely tray of biscuits straight out the oven, smelling of cinnamon and and, and caramelized butter. And it's like, yeah, you want some, but you know that if you have some, you're going to end up groaning in a hospital bed, aren't you? (laughs) Same case. So, Dua, what are you playing at? It's a tease. But at the same time, I understand how you're going to miss out the opportunity plus i bet the blessed madonna must be a wonderful person to hang out with i i can imagine those two those two strong feminine characters being together in a, in a in a studio just for the fun of it it's like look we can do this i've got a record label who pay for any sample clear any sample whatsoever money is not an obstacle let's just have fun and what i like is that they've honored they haven't honored a whole spectrum of dance music they've honored Jacques Lecomte, a.k.a. Stuart Price, who produced Madonna's American Life. Who He actually produced one of Madonna's uh, most triumphant phases. In, in You know, she's had her ups and downs in all throughout her long and endless career. But um, the, the time that she was working closely with Stuart Price was one, of, one that I kind of cherish in, uh, personally in Madonna's career. So she's got Stuart, who also produced um, 
Future Nostalgia, didn't he? Or part of some of the songs on Future Nostalgia. She's got Gwen Stefani, who Gwen Stefani, some people will remember her for no doubt, but I will always mm, have a soft spot in my heart for Hollaback Girl and um, TikTok, TikTok, uh, What You Waiting For? You know, that was, a, that was a massive pop tune. That is one of the most massive pop tunes ever. And I can imagine Dua Lipa being a young girl, dancing and rehearsing, even though she... She wasn't such a great dancer at the beginning. <laughs> no, she you know, was not. But I can imagine her losing her shit to, to Gwen Stefani. And, uh, but I can also imagine her be, um, not being alien to Masters at Work. I think Dua Lipa had a bit of a clubby uh, teenage, teenage years or whatever. Or she did hang out in some clubs. So, but it, I, I agree with you, Ben, that only giving them a minute and a half, or what is it that they have on the on album? Well, I mean, it depends. But like, Master Work is one minute fifty-four. One minute fifty-four. Although it does work because it's the, 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 it's two remixes of Pretty Please, right? Uh, one is by Midland, and it se- segues straight into the Masters at Work slash Cashmere um, uh, Percolator bootleg. And it did work with me this morning, Ben. I got I got in a very good mood when that that bouncy kind of sound comes in. I was like, "Oh damn, I'm bouncing, boy!" Uh, it we, works. It works. We should say that they are bringing out the full album of all the remixes in full. But ah. it's like, yeah, but like it's like Mar was saying, are, are we not? If, if we're a little bit bored, or not bored, if we we we've had a lot of Dua Lipa this year, do we want like a third a third album right now? Also, also, if I may say, in terms of DJ mix, right, I'm sure Bless Madonna was involved uh, very deeply on levels, but I cannot imagine her being like, yeah, let's get Zach Witness and Jen Hashino into remix Good in Bed because that is a <laughs> god awful song. And the original song's good, but that remix is god awful and it doesn't work at all in the mix. It's the sound of a mixtape by. Oh, a person with internet, basically. Anything that springs to mind. Oh, how do, how about we get Blackpink? Hang on, quick phone, quick phone call to the lawyer. Hey, have you got Blackpink? Yeah, we've got them. On, I bet they're on the same label. This could only happen. Blackpink must not be cheap, I imagine. Anything with K-pop. Jamiroquai. I mean, Jamiroquai. Who wants a, a, a Cosmic Girl, which was one of his biggest hits? It's not one of his best songs. I mean, she could have taken any, but I, it might just be like, oh, I really like that song. Oh, my dad used to play it in the car, you know, because he probably drove a Lamborghini just like... Jamiroquai, Dua Lipa's father is a very famous and respected uh, musician back in the Balkans. Um, uh, I th- I, I'm, 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 I've grown to like this mixtape, and I think there will be space for the longer versions, especially the Masters of Work version for whenever clubs open again. There are almost no good remix albums ever. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, I, uh, 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 Mad Professor, Massive Attacks, uh, No Protection. That is one. One. Go, go for number two. Uh, that, that, I'm dry. <laughs> Daft Punk, generally acclaimed as one of the uh, best dance bands in the history of, of the world, have two remix albums, both of which are god-awful. Absolutely <laughs> god-awful. I'm a big Daft Punk fan, but I would not like... Which... What the, the, Was it the Alive one? But that was a live album. No, no, no. There, there's um, a Daft Club, which oh. was um, mm. originally given away free when they did... Um, uh, Discovery. It was basically um, a load of remixes from about that time. Apps. Uh, did I say two remix albums? I mean three. Three. Right. Well. Dove, Dove Club uh, is just god awful. It's like it's mm. it's it's unbelievably bad. It's one of those things you're like, well, how did you not realise it was that bad? <laughs> Human After All remixes is even worse. It's oh, one yeah. of. I mean, it, it's just at least it's sort of 
quite underground names, people like Justice and Digitalism, but none of them work, and the source material isn't very good. And the absolute peak of being terrible is Tron Legacy Reconfigured, which... <laughs> have you ever Ooh. wondered what it would be like to hear... Uh, to hear... Oof, Sander Kleinberg remix Daft oh, Punk, God. or The Crystal Method? Terrible. Paul Oakenfold, it's one of the... Worst it, things. It, 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 that was properly commissioned by the tip, the type of uh, major label executive who's totally out of touch, who just hangs from uh, from private club to private club and thinks, "Yeah, wouldn't it be cool to get the Crystal <laughs> Method?" I used to bang on those guys when I was back in college, man, with my haggy sack. <laughs> by the way, something else that happened this summer regarding this really well regarding this story is uh, Maria Stamper, aka the artist formerly known as the Black Madonna, uh, responding to a petition on Change.org, changed her name to the Black. Madonna, announcing it last uh, July 20th on Twitter and using the post, uh, the announcement to support the Black Lives Matter movement, including a plea for justice for Breonna Taylor, including the names of the police officers who shot and killed her in her own home. So it, it was it was an interesting, I thought, why are you changing your name just because a guy is petitioning? Oh, all right. Okay, I get mm -hmm. it. You know, it's, she's very sensitive, even though she said that she was, um, she had a, a, a Catholic uh, Christian upbringing and uh, the Blessed Madonna, the Black Madonna was a was a cherished figure in her household um obviously yeah the 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 woke the woke situation <laughs> pointed out that it was wrong for her to use it and uh well anyway she's using it she used the platform in a very interesting way i think i think she is a very talented dj probably a very nice person but i'm saying no thank you to this album <laughs> uh, can we can we have a little bit let's have a little bit of the master work remix of pretty please Somewhere in the middle That was Dua Lipa, Pretty Please, Masterwork Remix. And that uh, is about uh, half of all that you get on the new uh, <laughs> Dua Lipa album. But the new one out, there's a new one out tomorrow. You can enjoy it in full without a bit of cashmere uh, and very unartfully put over it. Anyway, Mar, what has the world been up to this summer? We haven't really talked much about summer. We have been talking for a long time now. But what have we or what has the world been up to this summer? This summer um, has been a little iffy, there's been a virus, I don't know if you heard. It has stopped many plants and it has left us with a bitter sweet season. And staying on topic of bad summer, bad things happening, I want to talk about a couple things that remind us that the world is yet to be a better place. First off, Megan the Stallion, the only important woman on <laughs> earth, the goddess that has braced us with many bangers, was shot this summer in both her feet. What? Which is crazy. It's something... It, Megan was shot. Like it, To me, this enough is just a thing that we should talk every day of the summer mm -hmm. until she is fully recovered. Well, I think she is recovered now, but... It, we should talk about this a lot. And the worst part is we haven't. Media outlets, um, you name it. Um, no one has really made a story, a big time story that, oh, Megan Thee Stallion, the famous rapper, whatever, was shot um, this summer in Hollywood. No one, 
it has had the bare minimum coverage. Like maybe you saw it on the internet, someone tweeted it, or maybe someone mentioned it briefly, briefly. But there's not no media coverage about it, and which is crazy, and it gives you a lot to think about. The other worst part is the little part the little people that knew about it had the audacity to make like transphobic jokes victim blaming awful crude remarks like for example i don't know if it was a soundcloud rapper some that's not relevant but has a platform he made like a transphobic remark like oh the person who shot Megan was is called Tori Lanes. I think he's like a rapper from Canada or something. Um, he said like, oh, when Tori discovered Megan's transgender or something like this, something on the lines of this, um, he shot her. And it, and that's why he shot her and he had all, all the right to do so. And it's fair. It's, it's crazy because first off, Megan's not transgender. But even if she was, that implies that if Megan was to be transgender, she should be shot because of it. Like, wow. how... How is it 2020 and people are saying this out loud and thinking it's okay to do so? Mm-hmm. And um, another example for um, victim blaming her, like I don't know, it was other famous person um, on Twitter saying, "Oh, if she got shot, maybe she did something. Maybe um, we she she deserved it for some Seriously? reason." Seriously, it's crazy and and um, reality TV show star, a woman who his own basketball wife's um, reality. And she said like, oh, I think it's um, a Whitney Bobby situation where there's like kind of romantic violence between the two of them. And I'm here for it. Like, wow, entertainment. And and it's like a woman, a real woman was shot two times in her feet and she could have lost the ability to walk. She's an artist. She needs to perform, but... And even if she was yeah, working she for <laughs> whoever, um, someone almost, when this is a traumatic experience and people are taking it so loosely and you seeing this, like she later, uh, Megan, after all these uh, tweets and people either not caring about her yeah. or making fun of her, she had to tweet, black women are so unprotected. We hold so many things in to protect the feelings of others without considering our own. It might be funny to you all on the internet, just another messy topic for you to talk about. But this is my real life. My real life, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real life hurt and traumatized. Like she shouldn't have to explain that she's traumatized because she was yeah. shot. Yeah. It's crazy. And this comes from a, ill-rooted culture thing that is misogynistic, but it also is super important to take into account that Megan is a black woman. Uh-huh. And this she was in, this happened in context, this happened in a house where it was a party going on. Kylie Jenner was in this party. Imagine Kylie Jenner was the one being shot. Oh my God, yeah. You, the, the, we would cover. have been talking about this every single day. Yeah. Uh, it would be on the news, it would be everywhere. It's this double standard that for some reason, culturally, we have deep rooted in our brains that black women, when it comes to violence, it doesn't deserve our attention or it doesn't deserve um, the injustice feeling that we have when it could have happened to someone else. And it's Megan Thee Stallion being shot and nobody really caring about it or making jokes. It's just misogynoir, which means misogynistic and... Noir, uh, as in French, yeah. 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 And it's so disgusting. It makes me so angry. And 
I just, I hate this summer. And I yeah. love Megan Thee Stallion. And I want everyone to stream WAP because I know it makes people so mad. It's another thing. And I, to make justice for her, I want the people who are misogynistic, racist, and everything to get ma I, map. <laughs> mad because WAP is trending and they they can stay mad. Well, this is, this is one of the reasons I stay away from Twitter because I don't like reading these kind of things. And one of the, the reason I left Twitter was because of misogynoir mm -hmm. uh, towards mm, uh, Leslie Jones, uh, the comedian on yeah. Saturday Night Live. Fantastic comedian who was uh, in the Ghostbusters, the female reboot. And yeah. she, got the, she got the load of it. You know, the film had its flaws. It wasn't as good. Obviously, it had a strong legacy to fill in. And they went for, they took it out on, on you know, Twitter took it out. Racist Twitter took it out on Leslie. And I thought, I can't, I don't want to see this. And that was, that was my story with Twitter. Um, some, what, something else has been eating away at you that also involves yeah. pop music yeah, and it's, uh, women's I thought this was going to, I was like, I'm going to talk about something bad and something good. Something good would be the VMAs happened. Oh, I love the VMAs. Yeah, Yay, celebrities. MTV. But no, I cannot have even the VMAs. No, what happened? <laughs> the VMAs is the fantastic place, the glamorous dream life of everything I like. Celebrities, entertainers, BTS, uh, Lady Gaga pulling a crazy outfit every single second. <laughs> and it's like, what could go wrong? Even Miley Cyrus is doing a performance like taking back us, taking us back to the Breaking Ball era mm -hmm. and dancing in a disco ball, blah, blah, blah. No, that can be ruined as well by sexism. Because Miley explained in a, she was invited to have a, the, Roja, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Uh -huh. And she explained that even if her performance was fantastic and super cool, not what nothing was as sweet as it seemed. Because she was she ex she had a vision for what she wanted to do. She wanted red lights. She wanted blue lights. She wanted this full disco ball hanging from the yeah. ceiling, and and she explained it to the director of the VMAs. I want this. I want that. And I don't want the beauty lights. I which are normally used uh, yeah. in performances from all the singers and celebrities. I don't want them. And and they were kind of surprised, but she was like, any other singer wouldn't, sing, male singer wouldn't have the problem with turning the beauty light off, so I shouldn't have a problem. And the, the BMA director was like, okay, you want to be treated like a guy, you will be treated like a guy. And she was like, okay, even, right, cool. Um, and then she was mm, rehearsing, going on, on the wrecking ball, and her, apparently her brace, bracelets kept um, getting tangled in the ball, blah, blah, blah. The and they kept getting mad at her because she had these malfunctions. And, and they told her, well, if you wanted to be treated like a guy, um, we wouldn't be dealing with this if you were a guy. Like We wouldn't be dealing with these malfunctions. And she was like, um, how, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? Like, I'm selling you this full-on performance just because I asked to uh, like to be turned off. And... Um, you should understand that I'm selling this big, sexy, uh, out there, over-the-top performance. And and that's not always what a guy does. A guy can come up with a guitar and a t-shirt like Ed Sheeran and sing yeah. and goodbye. And she has to go on top of a ball and sing and dance and make it all look good. Yeah. Just 
I, there's double standards. There's double standards in what I happened to Megan. There's double standards when it comes to celebrities, if it's a male or a female. And I'm so sick of it. I want, I want the virus to be over. I want sexism <laughs> to be over. I want everything to be over and 2021 to be like the best year. So. Do, you, do you remember when we were all saying like? Oh, maybe some good will come. The virus. Maybe we'll all become like nicer <laughs> no. people, and you know, we'll all reconsider stuff. That didn't I'm happen. So did angry. It? Well, it's it's just like it seems like the good people stay away from social media. You know, they they realize that social media is a Pandora's box of negativity, and it's like you know, they're they're out there growing plants, the avocados. W- the worst part is like, okay, I don't want to live in a world that these that women are shot and people don't care about it and that um, sexism exists and blah 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 but if i delete my social media it doesn't delete automatically these problems it just makes me like not hear them but they are still there and it makes me mad how but think of look i'm gonna give some context into this whole vmas thing First of all, I have to admit that I watched the Miley Cyrus performance and I'm, I'm, I, I love lighting and I love the VMAs for the set designs and the stuff. The blue lights and the red lights without that so-called beauty light to, to just contrast a bit was a little bit long for my eye. Uh, I think maybe the, the director might have had a technical yeah but you can brightness. i kind of you can agree with that but it's her vision and if she wants True. to do it that way she True. should and why are i imagine travis doing that it's like her creative mind and him being a genius and having this idea so so clear and in his head and blah 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 but mm. when miley does it or maybe lady gaga or ariana grande yeah. whoever and they're like oh she's such a diva she's such, so bitchy she has so many complaints and it's it's so different if it would have happened to totally. a man Totally, I agree with that. But um, to, to provide some context, I remember we talked about this when Fiona Apple's wonderful mm-hmm. uh, album came out this year. She had a situation at the VMAs all those years ago when she debuted on, on a major label. And uh, she, she went up to pick up her award and she said, f- basically, I'm paraphrasing what I remember. She's like, the world is shit. <laughs> uh, the world is a horrible place. You know, she, this was a woman saying, you know, talking about the female experience in, in the world of pop. And she got booed, you know, it's like, this is the VMAs, you know, you got to come here selling the American dream. This is a, you're happy to be here. You're happy to wear high heels and a dress. And she was like bringing the realness. So all these years later, um, Fiona Apple has one of the albums of the year and she's Mm -hmm. not longer invited to the VMAs, (laughs) but it's like, um, I think she's happy. It's for the better. better (laughs) But um, I'm I'm totally team Miley. Uh, I'm going to look for that Joe Rogan podcast. And I think the performance was nice, even though the mm. lighting might have been a bit too much. Uh, and even for me. if it was shit, it was her decision. It wasn't like, shit. No, even if it were to be <laughs> ah, like okay. it, he shouldn't be able to say that. It's like it's True. up to her. That's what I, I. The thing is, I don't think artists get paid to perform at the VMAs because it's a free pub. It's incredible publicity, right? So where does a director get off on telling one of the biggest selling artists, you know, what she can or can't do? Usually whenever I've been at at VMAs or any of these kind of, you know, the artists are treated like royalty and you can't talk to them and you can't take photos and and everyone has to respect because they're coming in for free, you know, to to, to give you ratings, motherfucker. As far as I know, not only do they perform for free, but their labels pay the costs of the, the staging. As wow. Far, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that's VMAs, but that often yeah. happens at uh, 
uh, award shows. That, that makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, MTV puts their part. You know, they bring the best uh, directors and stage designers, and 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 obviously the the com- uh, the, the convocatoria. The they get the, they get everyone interested in tuning in, right? And uh, it's it's an it's an ideal platform. But I I just can't imagine what director, if it's the same director who's been doing them all. He is one of the, the the top, you know, he's like the Christopher Nolan of award shows, right? Something else that happened this summer, but we'll talk about Tenet <laughs> on another show. We need a whole hour for that. Um, or go back in time to talk about it. Uh, but uh, if it is who I think it is, uh, yeah, he he could have an ego just as big as Billy Ray Cyrus and, and talk down to artists. Uh, the you, trade. You mentioned briefly album of the year. Uh, could we talk about a very unlikely album of the year candidate david just roll a little quick bit of music here what was that that was one of the greatest songs (laughs) of the early 90s charles and eddie would i lie to you do you know it mark no. Oh my. You don't you know this song. You potentially <laughs> weren't so born sorry. when it came out. This is a hell of a song. Yeah, but it doesn't it's it's still one of those staples that that sounds in obviously adult-oriented kind of radio stations, but this was a, a global hit and and it really is an irresistible piece of uh, contemporary soul of the time, right? Well, uh, why are we playing Charles and Eddie on the weekly review? Well, you don't hear of that many triumph stories from the middle age these days, but what a surprise I found on my wall last Saturday when my mate Paul Geddes, shout out, posted a new song by Eddie from One Hit Wonder Double Act, Charles and Eddie. The sexy Latino with long hair who sang all those irresistible oh yeahs, as The Guardian put it, in what many consider one of the best songs from the 90s. They were like the American lighthouse family. Well, after all these years of frustratingly basking in the shadow of the 1992 global hit, being dropped from his label and un- overcoming the untimely death of his creative partner, he ended up meeting contemplative soul jazz pianist John Carroll Kirby, who has worked with Solange, Frank Ocean, Caliuchis, etc., no less, and they bonded over Laraji Records, who's also one of my favorites. So the end result of this bromance is the album Pleasure, Joy and Happiness, which sits perfectly well in between the whole spectrum of bedroom lo-fi soul that's so hot right now. Ben, did you have a chance to listen to this album? Johan, you told me about this, and I was not expecting very much. You know, I'd, I'd actually I'd seen the Guardian article, and I was like, well, why are they talking about Charles and Eddie? And you came, and you said, look, genuinely, this is one of the best albums of the year. And I listened to it. It's fabulous. It is class. And it, I love that kind of, that second act. You know, it got me think like, because Charles and Eddie, we all, well, we don't all, but like anyone who's a certain age will, will know they are. You know, and this song is like pretty good, but it was like, you know, Spin Doctors or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, but it's like that. Imagine one of the Spin Doctors coming, coming with a brilliant album in 2020. Just totally unexpected. And this album is kind of like spectra and it's very modern, but it has that classic soul edge as well. He improvised a lot of the vocal lines. Um, which works really, really well. Um, you compared it to Maxwell, which is a very, very good point of comparison. And it got me thinking, my God, which other people have we written off? You know, because like, if you're going to have a big hit, you've got to be talented in many ways, you know, generally, right? Charles and Eddie were obviously talented. You know, they're obviously very good singers. And we we're like, nah, Charles and Eddie, nah, finished, gone. There could be so many people out there. We just don't give people a chance that often. 
Well, they, he was lucky, as I say, you know, the, and, and obviously he pointed out the, the figure of John Carroll Kirby, who is, as I said, the, the go-to pianist. The, the, he, he knows his jazz, he knows his vintage keyboards. And because that sound is so present in contemporary, even you were saying, what is indie nowadays? Indie sounds like lo-fi bedroom soul, mm-hmm. right? Uh, everyone who's basically drawing on Frank Ocean and Tyler, the creator, all that kind of vintage sound. Even Mac DeMarco, you know, sits in that kind of... Um, uh, schmaltzy kind of lo-fi crooning, right? Well, all of a sudden, here comes Eddie Tacon, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to show you guys how this is done. And uh, apparently, all, all, um, all uh, what's his name? John Carroll Kirby did was he laid out all these pieces, all these instrumentals, and he just uh, improvised with a tape recorder over it. And it's just so re- reflective and, and chilled. And it is perfect for a man of that age he's 53 years old and it's it's the kind of album that makes sense coming from a man who's lived so much and has gone through so many personal tragedies like anyone else does and uh, just sort of breezes them into a microphone i swear i can listen to this album on and on and on and you laughed at me but if i hear it after and d'angelo's voodoo it doesn't sort of it doesn't it, there's no drop in quality I didn't laugh at you I just said it wasn't quite at the standard of, of voodoo I'm not saying it is as good as voodoo by D'Angelo but it. But if you were in a, driving along the French Riviera and you were listening to Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite followed by D'Angelo's uh, voodoo all of a sudden Charles and Eddie's uh, sorry Eddie Eddie Tacon's <laughs> Poor man. Mm. Tells an Eddie as well, but no. But uh, Eddie Tacon's album, it's like, yes, it, it, you'd have a wonderful afternoon of, of, of soul. So the time has come. We've got to say goodbye. Um, we didn't even get to talk about Tricky. Never mind. Um, we're going to play out with uh, a song from Eddie Tacon. And uh, can I steal your line, Johan? Yes. As another Titan from his early 90s would say, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week.